From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. Dr. Melissa Rice, you have to be pretty excited. Oh, my gosh. I'm excited, and I'm more than anything, I'm relieved <laughs> that we have a robot on Mars. Dr. Melissa Rice is a professor of geology at Western Washington University. You've been involved in all three of these Mars rover missions, and your job is to do what exactly? Well, I have a couple of roles on this mission. I'm part of the MassCam-Z team. MassCam-Z are the two eyes on top of the rover's mast. These are the scientific cameras that are going to allow us to zoom into things on the distant horizon and take panoramic color images. I'm going to be part of that team operating the science cameras on the surface of Mars. Mm -hmm. And I have another role, which is called the long-term planner. So I'm part of a small group that herds the cats, if you will. (laughs) We, We help the science team, which is 450 scientists working on this mission, we help uh, direct the discussions that the team needs to have in order to make big decisions about where the rover is going to drive and what rocks it's going to drill into. Well, let's talk about geology because it landed in a dry lake bed, essentially. And the idea is that that is the most likely place where you'd find indications of past life forms. So tell me about this region, why it was chosen. We chose this spot, Jezero Crater, exactly for that reason, because it looks like this was the spot where there was, at some point in Mars's history, a big lake filled with water. And there's a big river valley flowing into this um, ancient crater lake. It's dry now, but it looks like somewhere between three and a half and four billion years ago, This would have been a place where a river was bringing water and sediments into a lake and building a big river delta, something like the Mississippi Delta, Mm. right there in the middle of Jezero Crater. We've landed right next to that delta, and we're going to be driving up to it and studying those rocks. Okay, so what would life look like? What would be the indicators? We're not looking for little green men. Uh, We don't expect to see a dinosaur bone sticking up out of the ground. What we're looking for when we look for life on Mars is evidence for ancient microbes. The period in Mars's history when Mars would have been habitable, when there could have been life swimming around in these lakes, was a relatively short period. And so if life did arise on Mars, it didn't have that much time to evolve into multicellular organisms and vegetation and animals and life as we know it on Earth. So what we're looking for is evidence for the very primitive life, single cell microorganisms, and there might be evidence for organic molecules associated with those organisms, minerals that those organisms might have produced, or evidence for fossils at the microscopic scale entombed in these rocks. So are we talking about microbes made up of the same kind of DNA we have here on Earth, or would it be a different kind? Well... We don't know. Uh, We'll be looking for organic molecules that we know make up life here on Earth. And we'll be looking um, eventually, once we get those rocks back here to Earth, we can look for things like uh, DNA and carbon-based life forms. But, you know, this is is an alien planet. Um, We might be looking at life not as we know it, but life as we don't know it. And then it's going to be really hard for us to determine whether that is evidence for life if it's a form of life that we've never seen before. Yeah. How would you know if you find a chain of molecules you don't recognize whether under Martian conditions of the time that would have been living as opposed to just another 
string of molecules. Right. That's going to be a, a really tricky problem if we encounter it. But we have a good understanding of geologic processes and geochemistry and what types of molecules and minerals can be produced via natural geologic processes without life being involved. If we see something new that falls outside of that realm of just geologic possibility, then we might start considering things um, things like a, a biogenic origin, a, a, a living thing origin that's of a nature that we don't totally understand. So here's the other perhaps touchier question. You're bringing this unknown substance back to Earth from an alien planet at a time when we're in a pandemic and people are really creeped out by any little fragments of any possible life form that may be floating around. I assume you have a a rock-solid sterility code at your lab. Oh, absolutely. And these rocks aren't coming into my lab. These rocks, well, first of all, these rocks will be returned to Earth on a long timeline. Perseverance is really just laying the groundwork. It's going to be identifying the rocks that it wants to collect, drilling into those rocks, extracting sample cores, putting them into little sample tubes, hermetically sealing those tubes, and then leaving them on the surface of Mars. It's going to take another mission to follow up. That mission will launch no earlier than 2026. It will go to Mars, pick up those samples, and then launch them away from Mars into orbit. And it's going to take a third mission to go back to Mars, into orbit, grab those samples from space, from orbit around Mars, and bring them all the way back to Earth. Wow. That whole thing is going to take 10 years. So we we have some time to figure this out. And um, we are thinking in advance about how to protect the Earth from contamination from anything we bring back. And there will be uh, very stringent laboratory protocols used. And we're also thinking very hard about how to protect these precious samples that we're bringing back from Mars so that they don't get contaminated with Earth life. If we find evidence for something biogenic something indicating life in those Mars rocks, we want to make sure that we're not just detecting our own contaminations. So it's a two-way planetary protection that we're working with here. But we have, again, 10 years to work out all of those fine details. Okay, so are we going to have any clues based on the present mission? Will you be able to look at any of the images sent back and be able to say, hmm, that's a possibility? Or, or do you have to wait until they actually get back here on Earth? We need to get those rocks back here on Earth to say definitively whether they contain biosignatures, biosignatures being a fingerprint of something that was once alive. But the rover has sophisticated instruments on it, um, on the surface of Mars now. And so we can look at our very detailed imaging that we take with the cameras. We can look at microscopic images that we take with a hand lens camera on the end of the rover's arm. We can look for micro textures in the rocks that might indicate that, that mm. there had been things like um, algae mats present. So tiny and fossils, then we also have, really tiny fossils, you mean? Uh, we might be able to detect those, um, but more likely we have instruments that can detect um, molecular and chemical signs of life or hints of life. We uh, we have spectrometers that can look for signs of organic molecules that are preserved in the rocks. So those instruments are going to give us hints about whether it's possible 
that a rock on Mars might contain this type of evidence. Um, but we expect that it's going to require bringing those rocks back here into Earth, into even more sophisticated laboratories with more sophisticated instruments to say definitively, yes, this rock preserves signs of life. Okay, so it is possible that if for some strange reason you find a recognizable type of DNA on Mars that would be picked up by the instruments there. Not DNA exactly, but if we see something, uh, a large deposit of organic molecules that we know based on our experience on Earth are produced by living organisms, Mm -hmm. there's a possibility we would be able to detect that right there on Mars. Now, we would want to verify that with other instruments and follow-up measurements, and we're not able to do that easily on Mars. So again, that's why we really have to get things back here, so that even if we make a really exciting discovery on Mars, we can follow up and verify that and make sure that that's a real uh, trait of something in the Mars rocks and not a glitch in our instruments. And long-term, as a geologist, are 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 you strictly focused on finding the uh, existence of life, or are you also talking about the possibility of mining the raw materials to actually, for example, create oxygen and rocket fuel so you can start actually launching rockets from Mars to even more distant places? That's another exciting thing that this mission is going to do. It's going to help pave the way for eventual human exploration. And there will be an instrument on board the rover um, called MOXIE that's going to test a way of creating breathable oxygen from Mars's atmosphere. Hmm. It's going to suck in carbon dioxide from Mars's air and then convert that into breathable oxygen. And molecular oxygen is also something that can be used for rocket fuel. So this might be a way for um, a robot to go to Mars ahead of the human missions. Maybe we send it there a couple of months before humans arrive and it can sit there on the surface taking Mars air and converting it into breathable oxygen Mm -hmm. and converting it into rocket fuel so that when the humans arrive, their air tanks are full and ready to go. They don't have to bring all of their oxygen with them. And their fuel tanks for the return trip home are also filled up and ready to go. Wait a second. If you've got a gizmo that can take CO2 and turn it into breathable oxygen, we need to set those things up right here, don't we? (laughs) We... We certainly could use some help here on Earth removing that additional CO2 from our atmosphere. Uh, But where we're talking about the scales are so much different, um, it would be another thing altogether to try and do that on a planetary scale. We're talking about keeping just a couple human beings alive for a couple of years. Gotcha. Well, that sounds really exciting. And just just watching the, uh, the people at JPL holding their breath and then waiting, you know, 22 minutes to get the signal back saying that everything was fine. That was quite a moment. Oh, yeah, just so much tension. And then to see the room erupt once they got the word that touchdown was soft and successful. (laughs) Whew, what a day. So do you have to live on uh, Martian time? I understand some of the scientists who are monitoring day to day have to actually go on a Martian day, which which is like 40 minutes offset from an Earth day. And so they'll be essentially jet lagged all the time. That's right. And I'm diving right into it tonight. You are. In about two hours, my operations shift starts for the first day of planning for the mission. And we say that we're working on a Martian day, but really it's a Martian night. Uh, my workday is going to start 
when perseverance goes to sleep tonight. Uh-huh. It's going to, after the sun sets, perseverance, it's going to go to sleep and just charge its batteries. And that's when my day begins, helping to make the plan for what perseverance will do on Mars when it wakes up tomorrow. So, and so we'll continue on the Martian night shift for the first 90 days. Wow. But that, but that night shifts in comparison to, to Earth, right? Exactly. So we will shift the start of our day by about 40 minutes going forward. So next week, I'm going to be well into the night shift. My work day is going to start around 11 p.m. at night. Mm-hmm. And then a week after that, um, I'll be going in to start my day and the wee hours of the morning. And then the week after that, I'll be realigned with something that looks like Pacific time. <laughs> is this what you signed up for? <laughs> It is. I mean, when else can you tell people that you're working on a Martian clock? <laughs> I, I've been complaining for years about the twice a year shift to daylight saving time. That's nothing compared to what you're doing. That's nothing. But, you know, I, I realized the other day we're going to have a we're going to have our spring forward while That's we're right. in the midst of this Mars time. So just throwing one more thing into our jet lag coming up. Dr. Melissa Rice is a professor of uh, geology at Western Washington University. What an exciting time. Congratulations on on being part of this uh, very successful mission so far. Thank you so much. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, Not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.